let's take a while this evening. <clears throat> Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20, and I'm just going to pick up the reading from verse 28 this evening. <clears throat> it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which hath, he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, that at so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give then to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him into the ship. <clears throat> Sorry, unto the ship. Let's close. Sorry. Let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Holy Father, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the great opportunity it is to, to come together and to spend some time around your word this evening. Lord, we pray as we consider these words here, these words from Paul to the Ephesian elders, we pray that you would, you would speak to each of our hearts, <clears throat> that you would teach us, instruct us through your word, uh, refresh us, Lord, through your word this evening. Uh, Lord, I pray that as I speak this evening, uh, indeed it would be your words, uh, Lord, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would receive all the glory and all the praise and we pray these things in Jesus name Amen <clears throat> Of course we've been looking at Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders here in Acts chapter 20 and we've spent a bit of time here because effectively Paul is you know, preaching to them and it's almost like one of his epistles, okay, if you take this section and you put it in Ephesians or you put it in uh, Philippians, it wouldn't be out of place, okay, because it's basically exactly what Paul says to the Ephesian elders. It's his message to them. It's his epistle to them, if you like. And, and so we spent a, a fair bit of time dissecting this and understanding exactly what he's saying to them here in this message. If you remember, we said it was divided into three parts. In verse 18 to 21, we had the first section where Paul focuses on uh, his past ministry among them. He looks back at all that he's accomplished, uh, all that he's done and all that God has done as he's been ministering there. The second division, verse 22 to 27, he then turns his attention to the present mission, what's before him. Okay, remember, he's, he's heading to Jerusalem and he talks about how he knows what's, what's coming, but he's not going to turn aside. He's not going to uh, turn away from the, the will of, the go of God. He's going to do God's will. He's going to finish his course. And then finally, in verses 28 to 25, uh, sorry, 35, sorry, Paul issues them with a challenge for the future. And we've been looking at this final section, the challenge for the future. He, 
he began this section with a challenge for the elders, okay, challenging them concerning their responsibility as pastors of the church. That's verse 28 where he, he tells them there to take heed to themselves and to all the flock, uh, to those that God has put in their care. And then, of course, we saw in verse 29 to 31 that Paul explained why it was so important that they take heed to themselves and the flock. And that's because of the dangers that were present, the dangers without, the grievous wolves. And he also talks about the dangers within. Okay, he says, in verse 30, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things. So there was danger uh, that was coming to the church from without and also from within. And so the elders had to be prepared. The pastors had to be prepared. And this evening now we come to Paul's concluding statements to the Ephesian elders. You know, Paul has been with them for three years. He'd been with them, ministering among them for three years. And now as he's leaving, he leaves them with some final thoughts. He basically just sums it all up in a few final thoughts before he departs and continues his journey to Jerusalem. So we're going to look at his final thoughts here this evening. First of all, we see that Paul commends them to God. Paul commends them to God. Look there in verse 32. It says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. You know, Paul had given his all for these Christians. Yeah, he loved the Ephesians. He, he spent a lot of time with them. One of the reasons why he hadn't stopped in at Ephesus on his way back down to Jerusalem is because he knew he'd get caught up there. He loved these brethren so much, he didn't want to get stuck there for too long. And so he'd, he'd bypassed Ephesus and asked the elders to come down and meet him. So he, he loved these brethren. He'd given his all for them. You know, now as he's leaving, as he's departing, all that Paul can do is commend them to God. That's all he can do. Commend them to God. You see, they could no longer count upon his personal presence among them. They couldn't count upon his presence to be with them. They couldn't count upon his pastoral guidance, his wise counsel. He was leaving but God was always present with them. And this word commend here means to entrust or to commit. And basically, it was a word which was used to refer to banking, okay? how you would take your money and you would entrust it to the bank for safekeeping. You would commend it to the bank. That's, that's this word here. That's what it's speaking about. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> used this same word when he cried out from the cross, in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, he said, Into thy hand I commend my spirit. That's the same Greek word. It's the same idea. Christ says he entrusted his spirit to who? God the Father. Because he, as he's dying on the cross, he commits his soul, his spirit, to the Heavenly Father with the confidence that the Father will keep it safe. And here we see Paul uses that same word. He commends them to God. He entrusts the elders he entrusts the, the work at Ephesus now, the future ministry, into the hands of God. You know, he wasn't going to be with them anymore, but Paul could leave with confidence knowing that even though he wasn't there, God was. <clears throat> he could leave with confidence knowing that God was still with them. You know, he knew that God wouldn't fail them. He knew God would protect them. God would keep them. God would 
guard them. God would enable them for the ministry as they walked with him. God would be with them. So Paul here commends them, entrusts them to God's care. Now this was something where we, sorry, something that we've seen Paul do before in his missionary journeys. If you go back to Acts chapter fourteen, <clears throat> in Acts chapter fourteen and verse twenty-three, <clears throat> talking about Paul and Barnabas on their early missionary journeys, it says, "And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord, on whom they." believed and so we've seen this word before okay when as they traveled around as they started churches established a new church and they established leadership within that church ordained elders they would then commend them to the lord entrust them to the care of god it's that same greek word you see paul and barnabas they understood that if these ministries these churches were going to continue and to flourish then God was the one that was going to have to take care of them. God was the one who was going to have to protect them. You see, the reliance here is not upon man, is it? He's not commending them to uh, the care of the elders. He's commending the elders and the church to the care of God. The reliance is not upon man. The reliance can't be upon man. It can't be upon man to keep us, to protect us. It can't be upon programs either, can it? You know, new ideas, new programs to keep us and and to make us successful as a church. Now we have to entrust the work to the Lord. And that's what we see Paul doing here. He trusts the work to God. You see, the same is true for this church today, isn't it? The same is true for every church, for every believer. As we, as we work, as we labor for the Lord, we have to entrust the work to the care of God. We have to look to Him, don't we? Keep our eyes upon Him and trust Him that He is going to take us forward. You see, the reality is that men will fail us. They do. Men will fail us. Programs will fail us. But God never will. God never will. You see, even when we're going through the the deepest, darkest trials, even when we're suffering affliction, we're suffering persecution, as Brandon preached this morning, we're probably heading for a day of more and more persecution. But even, even when we go through those things, we entrust ourselves and the work to who? To God. We look to Him in those times. You know, the Apostle Peter, he encouraged the believers who were suffering according to the will of God to commit their souls to the Lord. Just go to 1 Peter 4 and verse 19 with me. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. We read, wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Peter says here, he says those who are suffering because they're in the will of God, they're doing God's will, they're suffering for his work, he says commit the keeping of their souls to him, to God. Why did Peter tell them to do this? Why could he tell them to do this? Because Peter understood that whatever the end result of that suffering was, God was in control. And so he says, just trust God. Commit the care of your soul to the Lord. You see, the point is, we can entrust our lives, we can entrust our ministry, entrust this church 
to the reliable care of God. Now, even when we're going through the most terrible time of suffering, affliction, persecution, we can do this. Why? Because God is the faithful creator. As Peter says there in 1 Peter 4 verse 19, he is the faithful creator. You see, as the creator, God has the power. The power to deliver us from the trial or through the trial. Indeed, God has the power to raise us up at the last day. And indeed, we know we shall rise. You know, John, 4, John 6 verse 40 says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that of all that he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. God's not going to lose any of us. He'll keep us, protect us, and raise us up at the last day. So the point is, even if death, even if death is the end result of that suffering and that persecution, we have nothing to fear, do we? We entrust ourselves, our soul, to the care of Almighty God. And therefore, as we serve Him, we entrust this ministry, we entrust our lives to His loving care. And as you know, Brendan preached this morning, we then with boldness seek to stand up for the Lord. Because we're entrusting ourselves to Him. There's, you see, there's no safer place to be, is there, than in the hands of our Saviour. And that's Paul's point here. As he's leaving, he commends them to God because he understands there's no safer place for them to be. And he's saying, look to God. Trust in him. Trust in him to establish and keep you and use you in this place. And the same goes for us. We must commend this work to the Lord. We see that Paul then goes on and he commends them to the word of his grace. <clears throat> he commends them to the word of his grace. Verse 32 again, it says, And now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So not only does Paul here commend them or entrust them and the ministry to the Lord's care, he now also commends them or entrusts them to the word of his grace. Of course, this, this phrase here, the word of his grace, is referring to the word of God. It's God's holy word, his word, which is full of grace and truth. And so Paul here is entrusting them to the safekeeping of God, to God's safe hands, and also to God's holy word. You see, Paul knew that even though he was leaving them, they had with them the two essential elements for any successful ministry. They had God. And they had the word. That's all they needed. They had God and they had his holy word. You see, the word of God is essential to any ministry, isn't it? It's essential to any ministry. If it's going to be successful for the Lord, the word of God must be central. It's the resource. It's the, the thing that builds us up in the faith. That's what Paul says here. He says, And brethren, I commend, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. The Word of God is able to build us up. Paul knew the importance of God's Word. He knew the importance of, of the, the Scriptures to their lives, to the work. It was the Word of God that would strengthen them. It was the Word of God that would sustain them in the ministry. You see, they couldn't hope to be successful for the Lord without spending time in the Word of God. You know, and we, we come across this time and time again, don't we, as we study God's Word. Why? 
Because it is so important. That's why God keeps reminding us of this fact. That we must spend time in the Word to be built up, to be strengthened, so we can be effective for Him. So we might grow spiritually. In John 17, 17, Christ said that the Word of God is the thing that sanctifies us. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. It's the, the Word of God that sanctifies us. So the Word of God is the thing that helps us to become more and more like Him each and every day. It is the means of spiritual growth. Now remember here that Paul in particular, he's speaking about the church, but he's in particular here addressing the elders, isn't he? He's addressing the pastors, the leaders of the church at Ephesus. And so he's commending them to the Word of His grace, which is able to build them up. You see, it was essential for them as the elders, as the pastors that they be built up in the faith first of all. Because if they as pastors were going to then teach and build the lives of the brethren through the teaching of God's word, they first of all themselves need to be built up, didn't they? Strengthened in the faith. You know, as Colossians 3.16 states, they needed to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly in all wisdom. The word of God needed to be dwelling in their hearts. They needed to know God's word so that they then could in all wisdom teach God's word unto the people. You know, likewise, we must understand the importance of God's word. We must understand the importance of God's word to our lives. See, the word of God is essential to building us up, strengthening us spiritually so that we might be used effectively to minister for the Lord. We're not all pastors, I know that but all of us are serving, all of us are ministering in this church. And we all have to be built up in the faith so that we can effectively minister for the Lord. Beloved, we cannot diminish the importance of spending time alone in the Word of God every day. We can't diminish that. We can't, you know, somehow think it's it's just a secondary thing. It's of paramount importance. The Word of God. It's essential if we're going to be built up spiritually and be effective for the Lord. In his commentary, Ironside asked the following question. He said, why is it that so many Christians today make such slow progress in the Christian life and are so weak when they ought to be strong? It is because they give so little time to the reading of the word of God. There are professing Christians who rarely open their Bibles from one Sunday to the next. There are many Christian homes that no longer have a family altar, where husband and wife and children never sit down to read the Word together and lift up their hearts to God in prayer. Is it any wonder the church of God is so weak? Is it any wonder that worldliness is coming in like a flood? Is it any wonder that false doctrines are so readily accepted when God's own beloved are not acquainted with his holy word. I thought Ironside put it better than I could. So that's the reality, isn't it? Why is it that so many Christians are slow to make progress in the Christian life? Why are they weak? They're not spending time in the word of God. Why is it the church is struggling? Because we're not spending enough time in the word of God. You see, it's the word of God that builds us up. It's the word of God that strengthens us. It's not a secondary thing. It's a primary. We spend time in the word of God it's essential for building us up in the faith and then Paul continues on to state that the word of God also gives us an inheritance 
Okay, verse 32 again. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Give them an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So the word of God is the, the seed. The seed that's planted in someone's heart, which when it takes, you know, takes root and is brought to fruition, it leads to a heavenly inheritance, doesn't it? When someone hears the word of God and they get saved, they obtain an inhevel- a heavenly inheritance. And this is an inheritance that is common to all believers. It's common to all who are sanctified. Common to all who are trusted in Christ, sanctified through him. You know, 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter speaks about this inheritance. Let's just quickly turn there. 1 Peter 1. Verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have an inheritance, don't we? It's an incorruptible inheritance. It's one that's undefiled, one that fadeth not away. It's reserved for us in heaven. And that inheritance belongs to all who have been sanctified and that sanctification comes through the word through faith in god's holy word and in the truth that christ came died was buried and rose again you see to be sanctified here of course means to be set apart unto god that's that word sanctified set apart unto god and the sanctification talked about here takes place in the life of every believer at the moment we trust in christ it's a reference to our positional sanctification we have this inheritance why because we are positionally sanctified we're saved we're saved we're one of his we're set apart to god from the world through faith in christ and once we are saved we then are progressively sanctified through that same word through the word as we grow in this christian life become more like christ which we saw earlier is the building up in the faith. And so both aspects are mentioned here, aren't they? We've got the building up of the faith, that's our day-to-day walk, and we have our positional sanctification, our inheritance at salvation. Both come through the word of God, through the gospel. Paul's point here is clear. You see, it's by the word of God that we are sanctified and have an inheritance in heaven one day, and it's by the word of God that we are progressively sanctified to be more like him each and every day strengthen, build up in the faith. And so Paul here is entrusting the work to God's safe hands and to the word of God, because he knows it's the word of God that will build them up in the faith, that will strengthen them, and it's the word of God that will lead others to Christ too. It's the word of God that brings men to that point of salvation, gives them that inheritance. And so we entrust them to these two things, the word of God and the word of God of his grace these two essential elements for any successful ministry you can't take either away we need god we need his safekeeping and we need his word now having commanded them to these two things paul now concludes his message by once again reminding them of his 
example. That's our third point this evening. He reminds them of his example. Let's read there, verse 33. It says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Basically here in these last words, Paul reminds them once more of what their motivation is to be. You know, as the ones that are taking care of the flock of God, he reminds them that they are to do this without thought for material reward. That's, that's not to be their purpose. That's not to be their motivation. He says you're not to do it thinking about what you can get out of it, but rather what you can give. What you can give. And Paul does this here by calling them to remember his own example as he ministered among them. You see, he hadn't come to Ephesus coveting silver or gold. That's verse 33. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Paul hadn't come to town, come to Ephesus, seeking to make, make a fortune. He hadn't come to town seeking to have what others have and take it off them as, as a bill, you know, that you're going to pay me with this. He hadn't sought that. He hadn't come coveting their silver or gold. You know, this, of course, was in complete contrast, wasn't it, to the false teachers of the day. The false teachers of the day who were only in it for themselves. You know, you had these itinerant preachers who would go around and their sole purpose was to make money. They were fleecing the people. They coveted riches. In Second Peter, Peter speaks about this fact. Just turn over there. Just quickly, Second Peter. In Second Peter 2, verse 1, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Now Peter speaks about these false teachers. In verse 3 in particular, he speaks about how these false teachers are driven by covetousness. And they make merchandise of the people. They see the people as a means of making money. This is their motivation. This was their goal of their teaching. And so Paul, he sought to distance himself from them. That's really what he tried to do. He tried to distance himself from the false teachers so he couldn't be accused of being one of them. And Paul did this by supporting himself. And indeed those who were with him with his trade as a tent maker. Okay, verse 34, it says, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. He used his trade as a tent maker to, to supply his needs in these places. So he couldn't be accused of preaching and teaching only for money, for material gain. Now we saw Paul do a similar thing when he first arrived in Corinth, didn't we? Back in chapter 18, <coughs> excuse me in chapter 18 verse 3 it says this and it says and because he was of the same craft talking about Aquilus and Priscilla there <coughs> because he was of the same craft he abode with them and wrought for by their occupation they were tent makers 
When he first came to Corinth, he did the same thing. He went to uh, join with Aquila and Priscilla, these two who were of the same trade, tent makers, and Paul labored with them as he started the work in Corinth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he did the same thing when he came to the Thessalonians. Just turn over there. In 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, in verse 7, it says, For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. When he came to the Thessalonians, it was the same thing. He desired not to be chargeable unto any of them, unto any man. You see, in all these places, as Paul traveled around and he started these churches, he wanted to distance himself from the false teachers. And so Paul had worked hard, supporting himself. As we saw, he wasn't averse to receiving gifts. He did from time to time. In Corinth, he ended up changing from being not supported to being supported when the Philippians sent the gift unto him. So it wasn't that Paul wasn't entitled to support. Okay, he was. I'll just quickly turn to First Corinthians with me, because he speaks about this. First Corinthians chapter nine. I know we're turning a few passages this evening, but First Corinthians nine, uh, verse eleven. There it says, "If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others are be sorry, if others be partakers of this power over you." Are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So Paul makes it clear in his letter to the Corinthians that It wasn't that he wasn't entitled to it, that he wasn't right to be supported. He had a right to be supported for preaching the gospel. But on these occasions, as he started these works, he chose not to because he didn't want to hinder the gospel. He didn't want to hinder the work. And so he chose not to receive support. And in verse 35, Paul tells us why it is that he did this. Okay, back to Acts 20 and verse 35. He says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul had done this, why? Because he wanted not only to distance himself from the false teachers, but also because he wanted to set an example. An example for the elders and an example for the believers in general to follow. And it was an example of hard working of working hard and and supporting one another. That's what he wanted these Ephesian elders here to learn. He wanted them to learn the fact that their ministry was not to be about what they could get out of the people, but rather their ministry was to be about what they could give to the people. And to reinforce this idea, he quotes the words of Christ in verse 35 at the end. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He says that these are the words of our Lord. Now, these words of Christ are not found recorded anywhere in the Gospels. We see the idea of them recorded, but not these words. And so it would seem that these are words that have been passed on by oral tradition amongst the disciples. 
And the fact that Paul says, he says, um, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. The fact that he says, remember the words, tells you that this is common knowledge. Okay, This is spread around amongst the brethren. They know that this is what Christ said. You know, these words of our Lord here serve to sum up well what Paul's point is to the elders. He wants them to understand that they are to be givers, not takers. And so he says, Christ said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, their motivation for service was not to be material gain, not to be what they could get out of it, but rather it was to be that they might encourage and strengthen the people in the faith. Their motivation was to be the glory of God and the furtherance of his work not materialism. You know, these words of our Lord, he's more blessed to give than to receive, they apply to all of us, don't they? Not just the the leaders of the church, not just the pastors. They apply to all of us. Our motivation for service must not be for the praise of men. It must not be what we can get out of it, but rather what we can give. You see, if our motivation is what we can get out of it, then our motivation's all wrong. We're serving for the wrong reason. You know, as we serve within our ministries in this church, our motivation must always be the glory of God and the furtherance of His work. Our motivation must be to see the spiritual growth of those ones we're ministering to, whether it's the the, the little children there at Sparky's, whether it's the Iwana kids, the Prodeners, whether it's the Sunday school kids, or whether it's ministering to other believers. Our motivation must always be to help them grow the furtherance of God's work the encouragement of the believers you know Colossians 3 verse 23 and 24 we're not going to turn there but it talks about the fact that whatever we do we're to do it why not for the praise of men but to do it unto the Lord well what's our motivation for service what's the reason for our service it ought to be for the furtherance of his work what we can give not what we can get out of it As Acts 20 now concludes, Paul is seen kneeling down and praying with the believers and they bid him a sorrowful farewell. Let's just read the end here. Verse 36, it says, And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorry most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. You know, these believers here, they're most upset by the fact they're not going to see Paul again. They're broken. They're falling upon him. They're hugging him. They're kissing him. They're weeping because they're not going to see him again. Paul had said, this is, this is it. I'm not going to come back by this way. I know the Lord's taking me elsewhere. And so they're, they're, they're sorrowful here. This is, a, this is a sorrowful time, a sorrowful party. You know, this one who had had such an influence upon their lives, this one who had brought them the gospel, who had taught them, encouraged them in the faith. This one's now leaving and they're not going to see him again. Is it any wonder that they're falling upon him here and they're weeping sore and they're, they're kissing Paul? They don't want to see him go. But they're willing to let him go. We, we read that they follow him down to the, to, the, the, to the docks there and they accompany him to the ship. They see him off. And they say goodbye as Paul heads down towards Jerusalem. You know, no doubt it was hard for Paul to say goodbye as well, wasn't it? It was hard for Paul to say goodbye to the Ephesians. He loved these believers. I mean, that's clear. 
He spent three years laboring amongst them. And as he's leaving, what's his concern? Their well-being once he's gone. He loved these brethren. He cared about them. He had a pastor's heart for them. You know, this is the reason that he took the time to call them to come down and meet with him and to give them this message. This message of encouragement and, and warning and exhortation. And as he leaves, his final words are what? To commend them to God and to the word of his grace and say, remember what your motivation is. It's for the Lord. And you know, likewise, you know, we need to entrust this ministry, entrust our lives, entrust this church to God and to the word of his grace, realizing that these are the two essential elements for any successful ministry. We need God to take care of us. We need God to take us forward and we need his word to be the foundation, the thing that builds us up and strengthens us as we go forward. Lord, we must rely upon God and his word and we must serve with the right motivation. Let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for this farewell address to the Ephesian elders. Lord, we've learned so much from these words. Lord, we've been encouraged by them, Lord, and, and challenged by them. And Lord, I pray that indeed you would help us in this place. Lord, we commend this ministry to you and to the word of your grace. Lord, we pray that you help us, you build us up, strengthen us in the faith so we might be effective for you. Lord, help us to remember our motivation. That, Lord, it is for you. It is for your glory. Lord, help us, we pray. Bless as we close now in Jesus' name. close let's take a hymn books and turn to 299 this evening 299